previously on Too Close to Home. We covered the beginning of the Lake Waco murders in part one, where we talk about four suspects who go to trial for the murder of three teenagers in Lake Spiegelbull Park. So let's get into it. Lake Waco Murders Part 2. This is Jen. This is Becky. And it's too close to home. We're going to talk about some uh, societal issues and blood and murder and cops. Cops or cocks? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, one's funny and the other one are cops. (laughs) (laughs) One's a joke and the other ones are cops. There we go. That was better. That landed better. Sometimes when you're doing shit fresh, you're like, damn, I could have, I missed the opportunity. <laughs> the time has come and passed. <laughs> we can't always be winners, guys. <laughs> Just 99.9% of the time. You gotta fall before you get up and run. Or some other motivational shit like that. <laughs> terrible at the motivational advice, Jennifer. Terrible. <laughs> Listen, I read about death and murder all the time. Motivational means... Oh, you didn't get stabbed today? Good, Good job. job. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you went to Philadelphia, Jen, and you didn't get kidnapped or mugged? Huh, look at you go. Champion. <laughs> Champion. You went to a wedding in the woods of Georgia and you all didn't get murdered? No. Congratulations. I'm You're living a survivor. Life right. I'm not going to give up. <laughs> I'm going to stop. i part of. <laughs> so well, let's get back into it I'll give our sources again uh, Bloody Happy Hour episodes 31 and 32 with the bonus episodes of attorney Walter Reeves and attorney Russ Hutt Wick Hunt Hutt sorry Russ I didn't mean to fuck your name up <laughs> you're listening <laughs> if you are please tell me more <laughs> Wikipedia as always and Texas Monthly, The Murders at the Lake by Michael Hall, which is an excellent read. So we pick back up and we're going to talk about how Simons, the Suedo Sherlock, and Fazell, the, the district attorney, how they become superstars and they're hailed as heroes for catching, convicting such ruthless killers. Name Chili. <laughs> <laughs> He's spicy. <laughs> <laughs> Fazell discredited the U.S. Marshals closed cases during the stint of Henry Lee Lucas's false confessions. And we all recall Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole uh, were two serial killers that traveled the United States and killed a lot of people. When Henry Lee Lucas was caught, the U.S. Marshals actually took them uh, all across the United States. And he confessed to a lot of these crimes that were not legitimately his crimes. So a lot of these murders actually went free due to his confessions. Well, of course, he uh, ended up outing the U.S. Marshals and being like, y'all do realize what you're doing, right? <laughs> and I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like you won't make an enemy. <laughs> um, he soon won this case, um, outing them as doing this wrongfully, and became legendary for his commitment to law. Simons won 
the Texas Peace Officer of the Year Award two year after two years after the cases were complete. He had also been featured as a protagonist in the best-selling book about the murders, Careless Whispers, which I did not read uh, because it's the way I understand it that it's not as accurate. Also, it was written back in those, that time in the 80s. So, I mean, there's a lot that's happened since then. It won the 1987 Edgar Allan Poe Award for Fact Crime Book of the Year. Mm-hmm. I am a peacemaker, he told the book's author, Carlton Stowers. I followed the direction that has been pointed out to me. By his senses. By his his spidey detective senses. Jill was actually buried in an unmarked grave due to the grief of her father. Not that he couldn't afford it. He was actually a granite maker. He just couldn't bring himself to do the headstone for his own child. So mm-hmm. Simons had a headstone installed years later with the inscription Forever 17. Well, that's heartbreaking. All right. On noon, March 2nd, 1986, Detective Jan Evans gets a call about a bru- brutal death. Now, the original murders happened for Lake Waco in 1982. They found a footprint on the front door, which had been kicked in, and some smudged fingerprints around the house. In the back room, bedroom and warning this is a mushroom stamp kind of situation face down on the bed lay the nude body of a 50 year old year 54 year old woman she had been raped sodomized beaten and suffocated her name was Juanita White she was David Spence's mother oh wow she had finished her night shift the night before at Uncle Dan's barbecue but missed church the next morning the Sunday school teacher stopped by check on her because it was very unusual for Juanita to miss church they deduced that Juanita had fought her attacker her nose was broken her ear torn her body battered and she also had marks on her skin that looked as if they'd been made by teeth the contents of her bag had been scattered around her home and her car was gone later located abandoned 15 blocks away seven hours after the police finished searching the house they got a call the home was broken into again. Nothing was taken. But from the room which belonged to Chili, it was ransacked as if somebody was searching for something. Price, a hard nose, which is the detective. I just want to make sure I get this right. They found the body and then 15 hours later the house was broken into? Yes. So it, was, it wasn't like quarantined off as a crime scene and well, I cop mean, posted there? No, no <laughs> obviously not. Just wondering. Just making sure I was understanding the Which, situation. I mean, from my understanding, um, Chili's family and all that and all these other guys were coming from really poor families. So, I mean, she might as well have been less dead at that point. Mm. Not to care. Like, okay, we'll put the tape up, but we ain't got time to put somebody out here. Price, which was the detective on the case, was a hard-nosed woman from Detroit and was familiar with the Lake Murders. She was a beat cop when it came about, and she followed the case avidly and was super relieved when the boys were put away. She felt great sympathy for Juanita to live to be the mother of a killer, poor and four times divorced, to have her life ended so brutally, which fueled her fire to look into the Lake Waco murders and conduct her own investigation on Juanita's murder. Okay. That women get it done. Okay? Word. It was funny, uh, she was talking, it, they would talk about her and 
they go into more details about her, but she was like, when she first moved to Waco, she called it, she called a wacko for a long time. <laughs> I'm like, could you not piss off Texans any more than going, walking to wacko? <laughs> you might as well call Bucky's goosies, okay? <laughs> How dare you? Price discovered many things. Juanita's son, Stephen, had reported his mother was dis- receiving death threats and thought her phone was taped or tapped, excuse me. It was taped. <laughs> she couldn't even pick it off the receiver. I was like, I'm thinking she meant tapped. Maybe she would, they taped the phone calls. I don't know. <laughs> White had actually received a letter from Chile that had been sent to him by Robert Snelson, one of the men who testified against him. And he was the informant who told jurors that Spence had confessed to biting off Jill's nipple. In his letter, Snelson wrote that he made his testimony up. She brought this to Chili's lawyers who sent it off to the U.S. Attorney's Office and a private detective by the name of Leon Cheney. She was set to visit the lawyers Friday morning, saying, I think I found out what happened. I have a witness. She left that voicemail. Fucking just tell me on the goddamn phone. Like, this is your child. This is news breaking shit. And you're just like, I'll tell you when I get there. Give me a little something. A little something. Two days after that, she dies. No one returned the phone call? No, I guess not. (laughs) Within days of the murder, Price learned that someone from the DA's office had asked about preliminary autopsy results, which was very unusual since only Waco Police Department was working on the case. Turns out, old Fazell had ended up taking over the investigation, which was highly unusual, and he he instated Simons as the lead investigator. Of course, this pissed off Price, but... What can you do? I mean, as a woman at that time, that was normal. You were paid less, treated mm-hmm. like you were an idiot. Oh, Shug, how are you? Just a dumb little old girl. Make our coffee. Mm-hmm. She had heard rumors about Simons, his methods on relying on informants and people being released after being arrested just because they supplied him with information. Simons, until his death, vehemently denied he had any power to do that. I'm just a deputy sheriff. Okay. Simons already had a suspect, 31-year-old Calvin Washington. He had recently been incarcerated for car theft. Simons had searched Washington's sister's apartment where he had been arrested and found a sweatshirt that appeared to have blood on it, as well as some tennis shoes whose tread, Simons thought, might match the footprint on White's drawer. He got a raging heart on when he heard that Juanita had supposedly been bitten. Because we love odontology. (laughs) And Jennifer loves the word. I do. I fucking love that word. (laughs) Makes me feel official. Forensic odontology. Watch me have been saying it wrong the whole time, though. You're not. You're saying it right. Okay, thank God. (laughs) She's a nurse, guys. She would tell me. (laughs) Or not, though. Don't tell me. And then let me look. That's even funnier, to be honest. I uh, think I'll do that next time. (laughs) (laughs) The wounds supposedly matched the bites on the body. Through his informant, Simons learned that Washington had had a partner in crime, a 19-year-old named Joe Sidney Williams. Despite initially trusting him due to her being a green detective, she became frustrated with Simon's methods and how far he would go without her. He would never file reports and played it close to the chest. And when she would try to cooperate what stories she had from informants, many refused to speak to her under instructions from Simon's. Mm. But that would piss me off. Like, don't talk to this detective. Only talk to me. Piss me off, too. Mainly probably because she was a woman. Mm Mm-hmm. 
She meant she began her own little investigation on Simons due to her concerns. Yes, girl. Yes. She discovered many of his informants had shortened sentences, some with being entirely dismissed. Evidence against Washington was actually weak. It turns out there was barely a drop of blood on the sweatshirt, and the sneakers did not match the footprint on the door. Days after Juanita's death, another woman was brutally attacked in her home. Her door was also kicked open, her purse rifled through, beaten with a hammer, and left for dead. Price realized that the assailant in this case, a young man by the name of Benny Carroll, was the prime suspect for her case, which was brushed aside, brushed aside by Simmons. Like, he was already like, no, nah, it's these guys. You're not right. That's just coincidence. Once again, not looking at any other avenues, just the one that you think. So, uh, another forensic odontologist examines that Simon's other suspect, Joe Williams, um, his teeth, and decides that the bite marks are actually from him and not Washington's. So, he had actually had both guys' teeth examined. And there, that's where that came from. The uh, price was pissed off about it and said that he did that on his own. But Simons, to the day he died, was like, no, we did this together. Uh, we authorized that. To- okay, sure. Okay. Lies. <laughs> so at that point, tension between the DA's office and the Waco PD was at an all-time high. When that July, Fazell held a press conference to announce indictments. WFAA's, which is a news station, investigated series on alleged corrupt. I will do like shorthand sometimes, and I'm like, you're fucking killing yourself, Jen. Jesus Christ. What are you even saying? <laughs> I was like, WFAA, what the fuck does that even? Oh, it's a news station. Whoa. <laughs> a local news station does a investigative series on the alleged corruption in Fazell's office. So Vazell decides he's going to file suit against the TV station and its parent company, Balo, and one of its reporters. Vazell also included Chief Scott from the WPD, who had publicly accused him of refusing to prosecute valid criminal cases. In September 1986, Vazell was arrested for federal racketeering and bribing charges. The DA claimed it was a retaliatory move by local and federal forces for the embarrassment that he brought to the Texas Rangers and the U.S. Marshals in the Henry Lee Lucas case. He was acquitted of all charges in July, in June 1987, and four years later, his libel suit concluded with the juries awarding him $58 million, which is the biggest libel verdict in U.S. history. $58 million he won from the federal marshals, so you know he got paid it? Mm, for sure. In 87, $58 million? Good. What, what, what would that be now? Let's see. God, it's like Wolf of Wall Street type money. I like how I demanded you to do that, though. Google that, Becky. You do, you do that. My phone's right here. <laughs> Today, it would be $146.79 million. Holy shit. Yeah. Inflation. Woo. Okay, I, I renege my... Renege? Is that... I'll take back my statement saying that I would do it for $2 million. For $145 million, I will kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> And no less, not a penny Just less. Out there using this podcast as an advertisement. <laughs> Have you guys somebody... thought about killing somebody? What did you offer them? Well, for the low price of $146 million, I'm your girl. <laughs> we going to Mexico, baby. You know how much shit I could get off commissary even if I got caught? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have all the top ramen. Who cares I'm gluten-free? Shit. <laughs> 
I have time to shit. <laughs> I got nothing else to do. But eat top ramen and shit. Rupert, I always That's say That's free healthcare, baby. They'll pay for all that shit. If I was in prison, I would just want enough money put in there that JJ put enough that I could buy hot sauce because the food <laughs> there tastes like shit. So I got to put does. hot sauce on it. And that I could get root bear barrels. Do you know what root bear, root beer? The, the candies? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because I could suck on them and make them last longer. And they could last about a month. If I had one a day. Yeah, so I right. want him to put all his money on my books. He's still got to take care of our churns. You're so kind. I'd have been like, I didn't even think about my kids. <laughs> Fuck that kid. <laughs> I need new thermals. I need an iPod. Because yes, you can buy MP3 players. What? And that's new since I've been in shit. When I left the prison. Been in jail. Like when I worked at a jail. Jesus Christ. I've never been like in. <laughs> when I left the prison, they were phasing in iPads. That makes sense why there's inmates that have Facebooks. <laughs> and they could FaceTime with people from us. <laughs> you imagine what happens on those FaceTimes? Don't watch it. <laughs> oh, no. It was funny. We went to East State Penitentiary, and we're doing the tour, and they were talking about what the inmates ate. And they had, like, a sister penitentiary that did all the farming, and they did a whole bunch of other stuff at this one, but they would send that fresh farm food, and they'd have badass meals, like, with dessert and everything. And the guy was starting to talk about today's prison systems and everything and i was like it's by caloric needs not by what goes together and he goes you're correct i'm like <laughs> i almost wanted to tell them that i had been in prison but everybody can look at me and know that i have no street cred <laughs> <laughs> when i listened to and i believe it was about east state penitentiary that they used to feed them so well there because part of the concept was fat and happy less chance they're going to escape and if i'm Correct me if I'm wrong. They fed them a lot of like starchy stuff like potatoes and whatnot. Yes. Yeah. They had and they said it was every mm -hmm. meal. It was part of it was, let's be honest, after you've had potatoes and bread and meat and vegetables, you ain't fucking running nowhere. And that's why a lot of prisons are cold. They don't make it hot because hot makes people agitated. True. I get well, actually no prisons have air conditioning anymore in the state of Texas what? or Florida. They do not have air conditioners at all. Oh, shit. At the jail I worked at, not the prison. The jail still do. But the they prisons kept it do not. So cold, you would like you know when you go outside and your nose starts dripping, you feel like there's going to be an icicle. That's how it felt. They're like, well, who's going to want to fight when you're that cold? You just want to bundle up. Fun fact: Jennifer keeps her fucking house that cold. I do. I feel like I have an icicle hanging off the tip of my nose right now. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> Always got my blankie on, and I do right now. I rolled this little chair in here. She sits in the chair and I'm like, well, I better put this blankie in there. And then I have an extra blankie. I was like, I washed it yesterday. I was like, Becky will be here tomorrow. Let's have it fresh. <laughs> like, this is a hotel. It's just going to be so damn cold. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Carry back on with your story. I know, but we had we have such good sidebars. <laughs> Agreed. So Price still insisted, persisted that to clear Washington and Williams names as she believed that they were innocent of the crime, spent her spare time interviewing their lawyers and sources on the street. In August 1987, Williams goes on trial. They used the bite mark evidence, and eight informants took the stand against Williams. Two had served in jail with him. Which, now, jailhouse testimony is usually hearsay. It's not always admissible in court, so... Despite being the investigator, Price and three other WPD officers took this stand for the defense that 
informants were usually untrustworthy and hearsay at best. You know, like when you tell somebody, I will cut three months off your sentence if you testify. They're going to tell you what you want to hear in case they could get some time, more time off. For sure. And some of them just want 15 minutes of fame. But yeah. The intention. They love the attention. He was found guilty nonetheless, and that added fuel to Price's fire, who then re-interviewed Washington and Williams, as well as many inmates. These inmates stated that the informants that Simon used were liars. Others told her about special treatment that the informants got from Simons, who gave them cigarettes, food, alone time with their wives and girlfriends. A.K.A. conjugal visits. <laughs> Chief Scott decided to go full force and had Price and her partner, Frank Turk, solely investigate Juanita's murder and the D.A. Simon's handling of the case. They spoke to foreman Otis Douglas, who testified against Williams. He, while he didn't recant, he said, I feel Joe Williams and Calvin Washington are being railroaded. They spoke to WPD officer Mike Nicoletti, who gave a statement saying that on October 31st, an inmate named Arthur Brandon had told him about a deal he'd made. If he testified against Washington, Simons would drop a pending murder charge. Murder? Yeah. Too far. What? Bruh. 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 You're literally undoing a whole nother murder case. Yeah. Not cool. He really pisses me off. I mean, he dead now, but... November 19th, Fazell brought Price and Chief Scott before a grand jury, slamming them for their condu conduct investigating witnesses from the case. Like, how dare you? She agreed to cease her investigation into Juanita's case after Washington until after Washington's trial and handed over her files. Unfazed, Price told Fazell, when I'm done with the White case, I'm going to look into the Lake murders. Get them, bitch. <laughs> Get them. I even wrote that down. All caps. Get them. <laughs> Get him. <laughs> After Washington is found guilty and sentenced to life, Fazell launched a probe for witness tampering, retaliation, and subordination of perjury. Price and Turker, Price and Turker, Price and Turk went full force and tracked down all the informants who testified. Some wouldn't talk, but three recanted their testimony saying they'd agree to speak on the record for food, cigarettes, and conjugal visits. I mean, booty will get you talking. I'm saying it does for a lot of folks, especially if you're lonely in jail. Uh, I was actually going to say the food and cigarettes would get me talking first. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking from the standpoint of a man in jail. A man, yes. If it was me, me. it'd be about that food. <laughs> you telling me you can give me a WQ quarter pounder over here? You telling With me cheese? you can give me some ding-dongs and ho-ho. <laughs> <laughs> Kill me in. <laughs> what you want me to say? Here, you write it out. I'll sign it. And let me uh, just get a copy of it. I'll rehearse it. It'll really sound good when I get up there. <laughs> I'll throw in some tears. He raped me. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was going to murder me. <laughs> That's so bad. I swear to God, guys. Just, <laughs> it just comes out. <laughs> One of the informants was Angela Miles. She was an old, fame of Was old flame of Washington's. She testified that she saw Washington and Williams in the Bola parking lot near Juanita's car. Simons badgered her, despite her constant reiteration that she had no information, even bringing crime scene photos to show her. Simons wrote out a statement for he, uh, for her with uh, many incriminating facts on the defendants and had her sign. Simons was like, that's, that's not true. She couldn't write it herself, 
So she gave a verbal statement to me, and I just wrote it down. Cool story, bro. And then he insisted that he had let her examine it. She didn't make any changes, and she didn't say anything was wrong with it, so she signed it. You're a police officer. You as old white man police officer. Oh, an old white man still running the world. Mm-hmm. Like, he's already trying to railroad this other motherfucker. You want, I know. As a woman, I wouldn't want to fuck with it. Like, you know what? Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> Signing it. In May 1988, Price and Turk brought their findings to the FBI and U.S. Attorney in Waco, hoping it would help free Washington and Williams. But the case went nowhere due to the past VUBAR with the U.S. Marshals and Texas Rangers going after him. Fizell had become untouchable. I mean, he won a huge lawsuit. Nobody wanted to get sued again, especially if he was successful. In June 1991, the Court of Criminal Appeals turned over Deeb's conviction. He maintained his innocence the whole time and spent his time in jail studying law books. He wrote his own 114-page writ of habeas corpus, which is a last appeal, a last appeal available to death row inmates that allege unfair trials. He was granted a new trial, and the informant's testimony that had convicted him before was ruled inadmissible because it was hearsay. I will never not hear hearsay without thinking about Johnny Depp. Objection hearsay! <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched too much of it, but I know enough to know that hearsay was said repeatedly. Yeah. There was one time that like the attorney was asking, the defense attorney was asking Johnny Depp a question, or not Johnny Depp, it was like a doctor or something on the stand, and the guy goes to answer, and then he objects to his own question. <laughs> I heard about that one. <laughs> and the guy was like, but you you asked you ask the question. <laughs> Chili was not so lucky. He His appeal was denied, and his execution date was set for October 17, 1991. In 1988, the Texas Resource Center, or TRC, opened its doors in Austin, with a mission to do pro bono work to help death row inmates overturn unfair trials and save lives of innocent people. Rob Owen and Raul Schoenman took on Chile's case after he was rejected by many firms. He is twice convicted, so it was going to be a long uphill battle. And, and some prosecution will do that. If there's multiple victims in a case, they will try the, the victim's cases separately, even if they were murdered at the same time. Because if... Let's say they found not guilty for all three because you tried them all together. Well, you can't try them again if new evidence comes out. Well, if I try this one and then try this one and then try this one, you got a much higher chance of winning. Right. And then, then if something goes wrong and it gets thrown out, it's either all three or just one thrown out. Mm-hmm. The more they read on the case, the more astonished they became. Jailhouse testimony and bite mark evidence at that point had become well known for being unreliable. They discovered a lot of evidence was never turned over to the defense, such as police reports that contradict the state's theory of the murder for plot, murder for hire plot. Some note, some reports notes that several people had seen Tab Harper, one of the police earlier suspects at Cone Park the night of the murders. Witnesses also said that he bragged about killing three people. Other reports contain statements from people that the victims were heavy drug users. One witness said a friend had gone to the park that night to collect a $3,000 drug debt from Kenneth. And they also discovered a polygraph taken by Kenneth's father, Richard Franks, who was initially treated as a suspect for a short period. His statements were also conflicting. 
that when his son didn't return home, he became anxious that Kenneth might be in trouble and went looking out for him at 4.30 in the morning. But then he later told the police he was out driving around the parks around 8 in the evening. Polygraph was deemed inconclusive. For one part was noted in the report, Franks had become extremely upset towards the end of the test. Oh, God, I was with them every minute all night when they were killed. I don't have any guilt feeling, guilty feelings about causing their deaths. Uh, and that's a quote. That? Kenna's father. Oh. Right? He literally, literally, literally said that in front of the polygraph people. And I'm like, y'all, I know y'all was recording that. Come on now. As the evidence for the other another murderer grows, the case against their own clients crumbled under the evidence found by the TRC lawyers. They took to the road to track down informants with the clock steadily ticking for for the need of a writ of habeas corpus to be filed. On October 16th, 14 hours before Spence was scheduled to die, Owen Ashonman filed a 164-page writ. They stated that in only six weeks of investigating, they discovered strong indications of astonishing state misconduct in the case against Spence, or Chile, for the Lake murders, as well as the prosecutors Owen and Shulman wrote, they had engaged in a campaign of deception that was breathtaking in its scope, including withholding evidence that was sculptory. The two asked for a stay of execution, and it was postponed to December 19th. And John Segrest, uh, the DA successor to Fazell, wrote a nasty answer. Quote, these are serious allegations against public officials sworn to seek justice. Okay, first of all, sir, every week we find out that somebody who was supposed to be voted in, some kind of a public official or officer of the court has done some shady ass shit. Mm-hmm. All the way up to uh, Congress and senators and judges and everybody. Right. Like, don't sit there and tell me that they become instant angels. No, they yeah. do not. He also says there had been no suppression, su suppression of exculpatory evidence, the brief stated, and the police reports would not have made a difference in Chile's verdict. As for Frank's polygraph, without context, it's How just... How is it there? They get to decide if those reports would have made a difference or not. Motherfucker, you weren't the jury. Exactly. You don't get to say whether it would have made a difference or not. You just submit everything and let the jury hear it all, and then they make the decision. Well, not who, you, bitch. Who died and made you king shit? Damn. Right? <laughs> and as for pa Frank's polygraph, without context, it's just as likely that Frank, Richard Frank's statement was that he was with them in spirit. The fuck? In he literally, like, he didn't say, I feel like it, or it's almost as if. No, I was with them every moment. Like, okay, you got me fucked all the way up. Prosecutors, in fact, had long maintained that they had turned over everything to the defense that they were required to. That's, that's the, that's the word. That's required. the key word. Required. And I'm sure they. Context clue. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> that in their purview, it was not. Purview of, I don't want to lose. Chile's lawyers at the time requested that all evidence in the state's files, even documents the prosecution did not consider esculpatory, be turned over to Judge George Allen for an in-camera inspection in his chambers. The judge had agreed, and Fazell and Ned Butler, the assistant DA, had complied. Allen never disclosed anything from the file for the defense. So basically the judge looked at it and was like, yeah, you're good. And of course, like, thing about a district attorney, a lot of these district attorneys and judges 
and lawyers all play golf together and shit. Like, well, I got exactly. you. Exactly. These shysty characters trying to upend your work, Fazel. I got you, both. Exactly. <laughs> so, Owen and Showman hit the road again with the clock kick, click, ticking down to two months left before the next execution date with a mission to attach the jailhouse attack the jailhouse testimony. Robert Snelson had lied, so they thought it was more than likely that other informants had it as well. They spoke to Jesse Ivey, another informant who testified, who recanted saying that the ADA and Simons had basically given him the evidence and he turned and he in turn spread the false information. They spoke with Kevin McHale, who stated that Simons had fed him factual information about the crime and then asked him to relate the information back to him in one of his statements. <laughs> they found two other inmates who had not testified, but nevertheless claimed that Simons had fed them information also, offering them leniency and favorable treatment if they turned the words into testimony. Upon Owen and Showman meeting Jan Price, they thought she would stay quiet because she was a detective and still working at the time. But surprised by surprised them by being open. They said, I assumed she wouldn't be willing to speak to us, but she was candid and forthcoming. She also spoke about Simon's investigation using promises to inmates and fabrication of evidence against Chile and his co-defendants. She gave a whole affidavit about Juanita's case. They found out the medical examiner had stated the marks on Jill was definitely not bite marks, but changed her st statement after speaking with ADA Butler, who asked her to re-examine the photos. Okay, so if an ADA comes to you and be like, you see some bite marks, don't you? Right here? And she's a woman? That's and, intimidation. And a boys club and knows that she's probably going to lose her job if... Yeah. Now that you say that, <laughs> of course it looks like that. Owen also hired former president of the American Board of Forensic Odontology, Thomas Krauss, to review Homer Campbell's conclusions. Krauss pronounced Campbell's methodology out, well outside the mainstream. So basically, he was a kook and already a kooky science. <laughs> In August 1984, just two months after Campbell had testified against Chile, he made a mistake that called his expertise into question. He positively identified the remains of a young woman alongside a highway in Arizona as those of a missing Florida teenager by comparing the dead woman's teeth to with an enhanced photo of the teenager's teeth. They matched exactly, Campbell told a reporter. Two years later, the teenager turned up alive. Oh, shit. You done messed up, A.A. Ron! <laughs> I mean, I'm glad she was alive, but could you imagine having buried this person that you thought was your child and you're and like that would be great, but then who who is this person? Yeah, and that's two years of another not knowing. Yeah, family not knowing, and this family knowing something that wasn't true blows my mind. On November twenty seventh, Owen and Shonman filed a supplement to the writ habeas writ with the Court of Criminal Appeals. The judges denied his appeal, leaving them the only option to go to the federal courts. On December eighteenth, the day before Spence was to die. The lawyers filed for a stay of execution, as well as federal habeas corpus petition, signing 25 grounds for reversal, and it was granted. Chile was a criminal, but it was more environmental and bad choices. He had a terrible childhood and surprised the CRC lawyers with his gregarious and likable personality. All the evidence showed he was innocent, but there was still this nagging question of why so many people heard him say he was the murderer. Turns out, June, which was... Uh, Chili's ex-wife revealed that he had 
never abused her, and that the reason for the split was alcohol and drugs. She was actually a consistent visitor of Chili's in prison. She gave an explanation for the false confession so many heard. She said, he wanted to be something more than he was, something big. I had heard him claiming it. He, I had heard he was claiming he did it. I told him, this guy is saying, you told him all those stories. Why is everyone talking about it? Did you say it to a big man? He said, yeah. So someone to keep coming back to talk to you? Yep. He told me he didn't have any idea it would get so out of hand. He basically wanted to look like a badass. After being granted an evidentiary hearing, they gathered a ton of depositions. Just because there were so many witnesses they wanted to call, they knew it would be better than having everybody appear in court. They set out to question the Melendez brothers. Both had lied in their statements but wouldn't speak on the record. The brothers were set to testify against Deeb, after, but after being brought to Fort Worth and seeing each other for the first time in 10 years, they decided to refuse to take the stand against Deeb. Like, I get that, like, all these guys were quote-unquote bad guys. But think about, you know, having been in jail for 10 years for something, you know, and finally seeing somebody you grew up with, your brother, that had to be very emotional. I'm and, sure. And, and 10 years down the line, and you have all these regrets, I'm sure. And now is your chance to make it right. And I feel like that's where they were kind of going with this. Deep was found not guilty, and TRC lawyers visited the Melendez brothers again, and they officially recanted their testimony about Chile. They stated that they, they heard about the murders from other inmates, the news, and interviews with Simons. Tony pled guilty at the insistence of his lawyers so that he could escape the death sentence. When recalling his statements with Simons, Gilbert said, I thought that actually when I started giving the statement, he would see that I didn't know what I was talking about and tell me I was full of shit and I was lying. That didn't happen. He ended up helping me make the statement, and I just got deeper in this. Simons took Gilbert out to Cone and Spiegelville Parks for the inmate to walk him through the crime and to identify the spot where the teens were killed. I didn't have any idea, Gilbert said in the deposition. I just guessed at it. Gilbert also stated that he had heard Chili bragging about the murder, saying things like, me and some friends of mine from Fort Worth, you know, we did that. We took care of them. And that one of the girls had big tits, and he said, I tried to tie the other one up with her bra brushing off the confessions due to Chili's history of bragging to look cool. So this was nothing new for Chili. Gilbert told the TRC lawyers that he agreed to testify at the second trial because it looked like a hopeless cause, giving a new statement while Simons got him food and visits with his girlfriend and promises the DA's office would help, getting him, help him get parole. Lieutenant Horton of WPD and Chief Scott were suspicious of Gilbert's testimony due to the number of confessions, not amendments and hearing a recording of the interview with Gilbert. So normally when you do a confession, they'll add amendments. They don't take a new confession every time. Right. They took a new confession from the top every time. And then they would stop the recording, and he would say, they would hear Simon say, okay, Gilbert, we're going to turn the recorder off now and get our story straight, and then we'll turn the recorder back on. Okay. Not supposed to do that. No, you ain't. <laughs> I'm not a police officer. Something says that's fishy. Only an armchair detective. <laughs> the best baby. Saying. Why would the Melendez brothers confess? I didn't have a choice, he would say several years later. I was going to get convicted of those murders whether I did or not. It was either plead guilty and stay alive or go to trial and get a death sentence. 
I believe by confessing, I saved my life. I mean, I, I totally get what he's saying. And that's where we'll leave off. We are about to head to our last chapter soon, you guys. As we, I wish I could say it was a happy ending, but it is not. Mm. <laughs> what are you feeling now? What do you, how do you view this case? Still the same that they didn't do it and they were just basically pushed into what they said and to uh, get an answer to it and wrap it up. And unfortunately, in the long term, that's not good. Well, it's not good in the short term either, but in the long term, like, now you're losing. It's catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah. time, evidence to find who really did it. And I wish I could say that this was a rarity. Like this is an anomaly. But it's not. But this is every day. And it's been proven time and time again that people will be bullied into confessing. Mm-hmm. They will be all of like having the detective holding their handwriting it just about. And people, there are some magic words. The magic words are, I want a lawyer. They ask you a question, what do you say? I want a lawyer. They offer you coffee. What do you say? I want a lawyer. They offer you $125 million? What you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> we know our price point. <laughs> <laughs> at least my family be taken care of. <laughs> I mean, I may be in jail, but at least I'll have all the tub ramens and my kids will be driving on jet skis and shit. I know, right? <laughs> On the SS clutch my pearls. <laughs> and all I know is JJ better not take that money and get a new bitch. <laughs> you better not. <laughs> what watch you become like the Capone of jail or something. Like oh. you you run that shit from the inside. I got my guys. They'll take care of you, JJ. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I know you're listening, babe. <laughs> Just know. Tread carefully. Very carefully. Keep your head <laughs> on a soul, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, Get ready for the harrowing end of the tech Lake Waco murders on the next part. And until then, stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't bring it too close to home and, and confess if you have to, to something that you didn't do. Ask for an attorney. I want a lawyer. Lawyer up, baby. Always. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>